Okay. So last time we were uh, speaking about the relation of the whole and its parts. And uh, we saw that uh, in the general presentation of Sautrantika, Chittamatra, and uh, Svatantrika, Pasangika as well, we have the uh, division between the true aspectarians and the false aspectarians. And the uh, true aspectarians are saying that uh, in uh, uh, sense perception, we uh, actually perceive uh, whole objects. And the whole objects that uh, pervade all the uh, senses, the sense inf uh, data, and uh, which uh, also endure over time, and which also pervade all of their parts. And uh, we uh, started to explore this whole issue of uh, uh, what does it mean to actually see a whole object when we only see part of it, since, uh, in fact, we only see or hear uh, part of uh, anything. And this is uh, um, relevant not only in terms of objects, but uh, in terms of our larger topic, which was uh, persons. How much uh, do we actually need, do we actually perceive or cognize when we uh, uh, see a person or when we say that uh, we know a person? Because there are many, many parts of a uh, person, both uh, in terms of uh, all the uh, uh, aggregate factors that make up uh, the basis for imputation of a person uh, in uh, any moment. In other words, their body, mind, emotions, feelings, uh, etc., as and all the sensory uh, data as well in terms of the uh, body. But uh, also, uh, there is the whole uh, temporal aspect as well of uh, the person over their entire lives, let alone uh, previous lives as well. So how much do we actually know when we say that uh, we know a person? This is the relevance of this topic. And we got into this uh, issue of uh, a whole common sense uh, object. We, we're discussing this basically in terms of objects and uh, its uh, sensory qualities and how much is uh, actually established in a sensory cognition. And we had this uh, curious term called uh, uh, the body and the sight of the body or the body and the texture of the body constitute a single substantial entity established simultaneously in a sensory cognition. Um, and this has to do with uh, uh, not, how shall we say this? From the point of view of Sautrantika, let's start there. We would say that uh, all of the sensory uh, qualities are already there, established on the side of the object. So that's a given. Now, the question is, uh, when we actually see someone, how much of that is actually established as the source of the cognition of that particular sense? Remember when we say, when we use this term substantial entity, it was the same word as a natal source. So 
how much of it is the natal source of the cognition? And we had that, uh, uh, there were two opinions on this in the uh, Galukpa textbooks. There was one of uh, Jaitsumba, and, uh, which is what's followed in Gandhan Changze and uh, Sarah Jay monasteries, and one by Penchen, which is uh, followed in Gandhan Charze and Losuling, uh, uh, Losuling uh, <laughs> monastery. So, um, what were these two positions? Now, you have to keep in mind that both of them are agreeing that all the qualities are, you know, all the data of the qualities, so, you know, the sight and the texture and the smell and taste, everything like that is established already. It's there on the side of the body. So how much of that is established as the natal source when we actually see a body? And Jaitsumba would say that... Uh, uh, you see the body, but actually simultaneously with the body, the only source out of that collective of all the qualities is the sight. So it's the sight and the whole are established simultaneously as the natal source or substantial entity of that cognition. Whereas uh, Pension is saying that, uh, no, you can't really separate out sight from the other qualities, that you'd have to say that all the whole thing is established as the natal source of that uh, cognition, simultaneously in that uh, cognition. These are the two positions, and uh, I don't know if we really presented that as clearly as this, uh, but uh, do you get the idea? And there are difficulties with uh, each of them, logical difficulties with each of them. Um, Jaitsumba says if uh, it were not the case that only the sight and the, or the whole object, the whole body, were established simultaneously as the natal source of that uh, seeing, if that were not the case, then the absurd conclusion would follow that one cognition, for instance, visual cognition, would have to cognize the body together with all the sensory qualities at the same time. Or when we see a body, we would have to see the entire body at once, both its front and its back, not just part of it. Do you follow that? In other words, he's saying if you actually if the whole, all the qualities and, you know, all the parts, the front and the back of the body were established as the natal source of that cognition, you'd have, they'd have to all appear in the, in the mental hologram, in that uh, mental cognition. And that doesn't make any sense, does it? Let alone the inside. Pardon? Let alone the inside of the body. Yeah. But this doesn't really argue against the pension because he doesn't say that one can see Well, yes, he does. He says that all of it is established as the source. So he's taking that to its conclusion. Its conclusion that it should all be there, that it should all appear in the, in the hologram. Oh, he really says that? Also? I thought he just says that the smell and the taste and whatever of this object, that this, this is all the source, all the five... Uh, right, but, it, but the absurd conclusion... Yeah. 
you have to, you know, they're debating with each other. So how do they debate? They debate by saying, you know, what's wrong with your position? What is the logical consequence of your position? I would understand what you said about the pension position. I would understand that what appears to the uh, to to me, for example, when I see a person, yeah, that, that all the sense data that come from there, whether it's smell, taste, whatsoever, that they are the source. But is it established in as the source of the seeing of that specific sense? Does that specific sense, seeing it, establish all of that? No, not the seeing. Well, this is what they're talking about. Then I can't follow what, what they are talking about. <laughs> When you see somebody, yeah. what do I see? I see the sight of the front of your body. Yeah. Your body, however, from its own side, has, you know, a physical texture and a smell and there's a back to it and so on. So what does that... I mean everything hinges on this word established, doesn't it? Proof. What's proven? What is demonstrated in that, you know, simultaneously the whole body and only the sight is what Jetson, only the sight of the part that you're seeing. Yeah, for seeing. Okay. Okay. So pension says no. That uh, the if you do your um, if you take the uh, your position, Jetsumba, then the absurd conclusion would follow that one could cognize a body together with just one of its sensory qualities separately from cognizing a whole body, uh, which is a collection synthesis of all its qualities. That's what it says. Can you repeat? It would follow that there's no way, basically. If you accept that when you cognize a body, that you cognize a whole object, and the whole object pervades all of these sensory qualities mm -hmm. and the front and the back and all its parts, then you would have to say that that and you're perceiving only the body and the, the part of the sight that you see are two completely different things. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make any sense. Do you see how that's the objection to the Jutsumba? And there's no clear resolution to that, uh, that thing. I don't know what they reply. I didn't come across the, uh, you know, the reply to these things, but these are the uh, absurd conclusions. So this is why As His Holiness uh, emphasizes all the time, the point is to analyze, to question, you know, each of these positions and to draw out the, uh, the conclusions and see what actually makes sense.
So are all the qualities glued together and you can't perceive them separately or not? This is you know where it comes down to. So this is what we were uh, discussing uh, last time. So I summarized it. Let me uh, just read the summary. According to Jade Sumba then, visual cognition of a body establishes simultaneously in that cognition, in that cognition, only the body as a whole and the sight of the body as the natal source of the visual cognition. In that sense, the body and the sight are established as a single substantial entity, a single natal source. This is a case despite the fact that from its own side, the body as a whole includes the collection synthesis of all the sensory qualities and all its parts over time. But that visual cognition doesn't establish the existence of all these, those non-visual qualities. In other words, it doesn't give rise to a mental hologram of the body and of the sight of the body and the texture of the body. It doesn't, let me repeat that, it doesn't give rise to a mental hologram of a body and the texture of the body at the same time as it gives rise to a mental hologram of the body and the sight of the body doesn't give rise to all of them simultaneously. You know, what establishes that there are all these uh, qualities in the body? That it has all these qualities? Well, because it functions and you can perceive all of them. But do you perceive all of them in one cognition is the issue. It's not necessary. You know, it's not necessary is the point, according to Jaitsumba. They are established there because they are functional and you can perceive them all. But do you perceive them all with one cognition? The qualities, you perceive the whole in all of the quality, in all the cognitions, but do you perceive all of the parts simultaneously in one cognition? I mean, it's easy to understand when you think in terms of the front of the body and the back of the body. But it's also the case with the different uh, sense qualities as well. So then if you take the example of seeing a person, a person as a whole is an imputation on all five aggregates. Right? When we see a person, does that seeing of the person as a whole substantial entity simultaneously give rise to a mental hologram of the consciousness and all the mental factors of the person as well? Does it? Pardon? If you are not a Buddha, then it's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. The person has consciousness and mental factors, but do we see them when we see the person as an imputation on the side of the body? No. Does our visual cognition simultaneously give rise to a mental hologram of the physical sensation of touching their body? No. But does their body have a texture? Probably. Yes. So these are the the issues that are uh, that are involved there. So then you think about that. You know, when you say you know a person, you're never going to be able to know everything, are you? Is the person from their side, who takes our tragical point of view, 
an imputation on, well, even if you take some, the point of view, are they an imputation on all the parts over time, on all the aggregates and all the sensory qualities of the, you know, the aggregate of forms, and over all of this over time? Yes, you'd have to say that, wouldn't you? I mean, is it? I shouldn't, I shouldn't answer. Always an imputation. It's an imputation on all of them. So when we, right, as a whole. I'm not sure I I can agree with that because in your limited interaction with someone, not all the aggregates and not all the emotional aspects of that person, not all of the thoughts are, are, are relevant for well, they're not relevant, but we're talking about from the side of the person. We talk Sautrantika here, from the side of the person. Does the basis of imputation of a person include all their aggregates and all the aspects of all the aggregates over all of time? Is that the basis of imputation? But only by only right. So, yeah. But everybody would agree. Everybody would agree. I mean, it's a matter of whether the basis, you know, the defining characteristic of the person is findable in the basis and all of that. I mean, uh, that's besides the point. But the basis for imputation is beginningless and endless, con- continu- con- you know, continuum of, of the aggregates. Yes, Isn't it? Yeah, but what does it mean in Prasamrika? If you, if, uh, if it's uh, a mere imputation, so then must, if there's nobody imputing any something, then it's difficult no, to No, no, no. Now you are, to... now you are confusing again imputation and mental labeling. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. A person is a non-static phenomenon that is a non-congruent affecting variable. It's neither a form of physical phenomenon nor way of being aware of something. When we talk about, and it can be known non-conceptually, how do you establish the existence of such a thing? There's nothing findable on the side of the person or the basis of imputation of a person. This is according to Prasangaka. You can only establish that there is such a thing conventionally, because it's there is, you know, the category and the word, and they refer to something, you know, conventionally. We all agree, and it, it is not contradicted by valid uh, cognition of either conventional or deepest truth. So then, let the Buddha be taking the Buddha aside. If one talks about anything in the in the universe, let's say a, a special person, yeah, a specific person, then one, one, then then the, the problem is you need you need always the, a perspective. You need always somebody uh, who is uh, proving that there is such a thing with consciousness, and then it's difficult to say. What's uh, what's there on the side of the aggregates when the, uh, if if it's not uh, labeled or uh, yeah, cognized by somebody? 
So that makes it very difficult. So then the, the problem, that, that's what you said with Southrantica, yeah, there is this, this continuum of all the aggregates. It's difficult to establish actually what's the continuum of the aggregates if... Uh, well, are you speaking prosangrica or...? Yeah, I, I, yeah. Right. Well, as I said, what establishes it is that it is merely what the mental label refers to. Hmm. And that there is nothing on the side of the object that you know can be found that establishes it. You're right. So then it's but it, everything functions, nevertheless. Yeah. That you know functions by dependent arising. Yeah. Dependent arising on causes and conditions and on parts and on mental label. Yeah. But if if some if something is not. If something is not mental, by anything, so then that, could there exist something that is not cognized by anything? Well, then you get the Chittimatra thing. How do you know? Yeah. How do you know? You can only speak into. I mean, the Chittimatra have a point that you can only discuss things. You know, I mean, everything is is relative to, you know, for us or for a Buddha as well in terms of the uh, um, consciousness that cognizes it. And this is why you have this uh, whole emphasis on non-duality in the non-Kalupa schools. But that doesn't refute that there are external natal sources of objects. Prasangika, you know, doesn't agree at all with uh, Chittimatra. There are external natal sources in terms of the elements and so on. But things are not, but just because there is an external natal source, it doesn't establish the existence of something independently of a mind. But then we are back to the Svatantrika position. Then you've established the ex the, the elements, it's a half-half thing, yeah? You have the element of... Well, no, no, because it's not that the elements, not Svetantrika, it's not that the elements are findable on the side of the object establishing its existence together with mental labeling, it's not that either. The elements can't be found from their side either. Yeah, but then, yeah, you can't... You can't Nevertheless, things are made of elements. And the elements are not made by the mind. It's not that the elements are projected by the mind. You have to make a difference between the mind projecting something, making up something and projecting it, and the mind fitting something into a category and giving it a name. Those are two quite different things, aren't they? But the mind does make up things like the categories and projects them onto things. But it doesn't make up, my mind doesn't make up you. Are you sure? But a category. <laughs> but the category of, you know, you with a designated as Russell and all the associations with that, 
that my mind makes up. Mm. That I fit you into, that's a box, mm. a mental box. But I didn't create you. But your mental box of me might be a different perception of somebody else's mental box of me. That's right. However, both of us, but that is, well, first of all, somebody might not recognize you. Uh, all the people in this room could agree that it's Russell, you know, that we're seeing the same person. But the associations that we have could be quite different, you know, the qualities of that uh, category. That could be quite different. And how much we know. But each of us might know something different of you. Do we all know Russell? This is our issue. Do we all know you? What does it mean to say we know you? Just or you know yourself? You. But, but you said uh, Sautantrika is just by seeing. Well, by seeing what it establishes, that doesn't... Not that it establishes in the sense of establishes the existence. That's not what they're talking about here. Mm -hmm. What is established in that cognition? Mm -hmm. okay. yeah. The only thing that is established, that arises in that cognition, is the part of the body that I see, and the sight, and you. There's an imputation on that, according to... Jetsumbo. And they're all established simultaneously in that cognition. And after that, you place your category, your personal category. After that, we can put the categories and stuff on that. Yeah. But a dog sees the same thing. Yeah. A fly sees it differently because they have different uh, eye sensors. They're seeing it through a different uh, eye type of eye. So which is true? It's relative, isn't it? So when we say that we know somebody from the side of the well, we talk, whether you say from the side of the object or not, in general, the person is an imputation on all the aggregates from beginningless to time to forever. A Buddha would know all the previous lives and so on. We don't. We don't even know, you know, you as a child. I don't know you as a child. I don't know you before I met you. And I can't even remember most of what I, of our interaction. Nevertheless, you are still an imputation on all of that. So then, each of us have a different experience of cognizing you, of seeing you, of shaking your hand, of whatever. Do we each know you? Have we each perceived you? Have we? No, 
always conscience, or is it always is it, can it be also subconscious perception? Well, whether it's conscious or subconscious, have we actually seen you? Have we actually spoken with you? Yes or no? Yeah. Everybody here, yes. Yes. But how much of you was established in each of our moments of interacting with you? Seems relative. Well, it would be only what appears in that hologram at that time. This is what they're talking about. So then it, you know, has implications for interactions with people of how much, you know, I really want to know you. I mean, can you ever really know somebody? What in the world does that mean? At any time, from the side of the object, they're a whole object, but we only interact with part. We only perceive with part. But nevertheless, even though it's only part, you'd have to say it's the whole as well. The whole comes together with the part. That's the issue. So think about that. Same thing in terms of knowing ourselves. I'm finding out more and more about myself. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> yeah, I said a lot. Hmm. Well, it means putting. Well, what does it mean? Tell us. Conscious mind, no? Pardon? It means uh, taking things from a more unconscious to a more conscious level. But are those things that are unconscious? Static, or are they changing? They're also changing. They're also changing. But so, so are those things... I mean, be more specific. Conscious or unconscious just means whether we are... Uh, whether these are manifest in a cognition or not. Mm-hmm. But you said knowing, getting to know. Well, that's our colloquial way of saying we get to know ourselves. So what, what are the things that we, we are trying to learn about ourselves? Could be our habits, you know, the tendencies. Which is a pattern. Those are patterns. That's what a tendency would be, a pattern. The patterns change, don't they, in intensity? Because mm -hmm. there are many factors that affect a pattern, that affect a tendency. That's a very important point to remember. Not only a tendency of uh, anger, but a karmic tendency as well. If we repeat the action, it becomes stronger. If we apply opponents, it becomes weaker. Many, many things that affect a karmic tendency. 
as well. But do all of the many aspects of uh, our ba the basis of imputation of ourselves, can they all become manifest in one moment? As a Buddha. As a Buddha, because a Buddha doesn't have any aspects which are contradictory, which are mutually exclusive. We have anger and we have love. I mean, these are mutually, you know, the wish for somebody to be happy and the wish for somebody to be harmed. Well, those are contradictory. They can't be manifest at the same time. Or the perception of truly established existence or, you know, the perception of the no such thing as truly established existence. Love is definitely the wish for somebody to be happy. But anger could also be against yourself. Well, yes, let us just go to the definition. Let's just stick with wishing somebody to be happy and wishing somebody to be miserable, <laughs> to be unhappy. Those are not, those don't go together. For, for us, this is also not going together in, only for the same person, you know, you can't wish a person happiness and Bad luck at the same time. But, but, uh, right, we're talking about in one moment. But dif different persons are going to have... Yes, of course. Right. But we were saying, you know, in one moment, is everything manifest? No. So for a Buddha, it would be, sounds like a Buddha is a... For a Buddha, in terms of his own side, in terms of uh, everything is uh, manifest, all the Buddha's good qualities and, you know, remembering past lives and all of that. And he can, you know, know what is on the side of others. But let's not stick with the object of a Buddha. You know, that gets very theoretical. Let's stick with ourselves. And our relations with other people. So, it has, you know, the whole topic deals with what do we expect in a relationship in terms of knowing somebody or in terms of knowing ourselves. We could try to learn to know more and more, of course. That's very important. But we only know in any one moment, through any sense, perception, one part. So when we say, I don't really know you, just because, you know, when somebody acts differently, you know, I don't know you anymore. We have that common way of saying, don't we? When somebody acts in a very uh, unusual way, I don't know you anymore. But even the emotional experience, though. So. Yeah, well, it's, it's because they don't fit into the boxes we have defined it of that we've projected onto the person. That's when we say, I don't know you anymore. Because that box was very limiting. And that box also might have been with qualities that aren't there or exaggerated qualities that are there. That's what anger and 
attachment to. Exaggerate the good qualities or exaggerate the bad qualities or add ones that are not there. Okay, so now we are mainly talking about the Jetsumba position now. So what was it? That was the Jetsumba position. Yeah. Which to me makes more sense. I forgot already the other position. The other position was that everything is established in that uh, cognition. It's just a matter of what you pay attention to. But mind you, this is Sautrantika that they're talking about. In this cognition, you mean in one? In, in one this, moment. In one sense cognition? Or in one sense cognition. Also, all the other... All the other, everything is there because uh, they are not separable. Okay. It comes in one package. Hmm. It's a whole. It would more lead then to, to uh, like saying that you are seeing a person Directly, but not conceptually. It's non-conceptual. Sense perception is non-conceptual. Yeah, but also mentally non-conceptually. Mentally non-conceptually would follow in the sequence before yeah. getting too conceptual. Yeah. You have the you have that sequence of you know sense non sensory non-conceptual cognition, subsequent cognition indeterminate cognition, then mental, you know, not non-conceptual cognition, then conceptual cognition. So you have that very quick sequence. So you would say that I'm seeing all of you, everything is there, but in that cognition only the sight is manifest to my, to my, to my seeing. But everything is there. But you would, you would also say, I am seeing all of you also includes all the emotional and mental... Well, that is the absurd everything. conclusion. Yeah, but I mean, from a certain perspective, yeah. that might be true yeah. for, for, let's say, for a Buddha, it might be true, or for some highly realized uh, being, it might be true. They, they can see the mental uh, qualities already. Well, the Buddhas only have clear light perception, clear light mind. It's not sensory perception. Yeah, I don't talk about sensory perception. But if you if you if you if you cognize a person, let's say, however you do it, it must it doesn't even have to be in front of you. You just cognize. You think of somebody. Yeah, or you might cognize a person in another room beside you. You know, just by hearing them. No, not by hearing them. I, I, I talk about somebody, some people who have, like, let's say, it's lung, some clairvoyant abilities. That's not so uncommon. Maybe yeah, it's not a Buddha. Let's say it's an, it's only an eight-level uh, Arya Bodhisattva. Yeah, let's say something uh, prior. Yeah, but but they could sense or cognize uh, a person without sense cognition. I. I would uh, assume, yeah. Well, that is non-conceptual mental cognition. No. So the discussion between Jetsunpa ESP, and extrasensory perception. So the discussion you are referring to is only about a sense perception. Right. It's only sense perception. We're not talking mm -hmm. about anything fancy. 
Yeah. Anything but sophisticated? Because he said that he says that all comes in the package. Like the mental qualities also come in this package. Well, I mean, this is with person. They're only talking about sense, sense perception. So sensory qualities, oh. sight, sound, smell, taste, physical sensation. Oh. This is the topic of sense perception. Okay. I was just taking it. You know, well, if you take it to the side of persons, then what? Then what? Yeah. Then you need mental perception as well. Well, we will get to mm. get to that, but uh, mm. you know, in terms of the sense qualities. Okay, for the sense qualities, I, I get it. Right. I mean, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about objects, a body. Mm. How much do you know? Okay. So now in now we get to the topic of the individual defining characteristic marks of where are they in visual sensory cognition of the body as a whole object the mental factor of distinguishing focuses on the body's individual defining characteristic mark and differentiates it from other whole objects and other kinds of objects in the sensory field right i see a body the mental factor of distinguishing, the aggregate of distinguishing, is able to focus on the individual defining characteristic and is able to distinguish it from everything that's not this conventional object, this body. So from the background, from other things, and so on. Right? That's its basic function, to distinguish, to cognize that individual defining characteristic. Everybody agrees that things have individual defining characteristic marks, even the uh, prasangika. The question is whether they are established on the side of the object or not. But prasangika says conventionally there are defining characteristic features, otherwise everything would be the same, which they're not. So, however, with sensory cognition one doesn't know what something is. You just distinguish it from, from other things. One only knows what it is after a sequence of subsequent cognition, non-determining cognition, and mental bare cognition, when after that sequence, you know, you're focusing, it becomes, this first moment is fresh, and then the next moment it's not fresh, and then becomes not determining what it is for a microsecond, then a microsecond switching channels to the mental, channel and then it becomes conceptual it's only after that sequence that conceptual cognition mentally labels it with an object meaning category and designates it with a word so it's only then i mean you have to fit it into the box so you remember you know ah that's russell or ah that's a table fit it into that uh, box so now What's the role of the defining characteristic mark? And here we have a difference of opinion of the tenet systems. So Trantika asserts that, uh, okay, I'm not going to read this. It'll be easier to explain it. So Trantika would say that uh, the individual, that the defining characteristic mark, remember sometimes I called it like a barcode, that this is on the side of the object, it's established there on the side of the object, and it establishes that not only 
the, uh, the existence of the object as a knowable object, but also it establishes what it is. In other words, uh, what category it's going to fit into and what name it's going to be called. So it's all there in the barcode, in the individual defining characteristic that's objectively there. And distinguishing just distinguishes it. In sensory cognition, just, you know, that it's a thing, a knowable thing, but uh, what it actually is, you would only know when you fit it into the box with the conceptual cognition, but the conceptual cognition doesn't establish it. It's there in the barcode, right? Then Chittamatra says, well, in that barcode, it only establishes from that barcode that it is a knowable object. But it's only in terms of the conceptual cognition that it projects onto it, that it fits, that it has this name or that name, that it fits in this box or that box, this category or that category. And then Svatantrika comes along and says, well, you know, whether that defining characteristic, which is findable, that barcode is findable on the side of the object. It still says that, but it's only in conjunction with the mental labeling that together with that, it establishes that it is both a knowable object and fits into this category or that category, it has this name or that name. That's the sequence there. Prasangika says it's not on the side of the object at all. The barcode, even the barcode, you can only establish it at, you know, by convention. There are no, so I used to say, there's no solid plastic around things from the side of the object that establishes it as a thing. Where's the boundary? It's not like that, so this is the sequence of how you would, you know, gradually deconstruct, you know, the whole role of individual defining characteristic marks and whether or not things are established just as a knowable object. I mean, first, you know, established as a knowable object and as a what it is, you know, as fitting in a category. That's how Trantika. Only a knowable object. And the mental labeling takes care of what category it fits into. Or together with mental labeling, both that it's an object, a knowable object, and what category it fits into. Or only from mental labeling that it establishes that it's a knowable thing, or what category it fits into. That is completely new to me, that in Chitamatra, that they also establish external knowable objects? Not external, but that it is a knowable object. A knowable object only, yeah. 
But what does it mean be a knowable object if it's not external? A validly knowable object that the natal source of it is not coming from externally, but the natal source is arising, you know, from the same natal source as the cognition of it. In other words, from one seed of karma. Nevertheless, when it arises, it is a findable object established from its own side within the context of the cognition. Not before they see the Sautrantika problem was that uh, it, if it's established from its own side, independently of the mind, then it should be there before you see it. How do you establish that it's there before anybody sees it? There's no way of establishing that. That was why the Chittimatras refuted the Sautrantikas. You can't establish that, you know, there was a you know, there's anything before you actually talk about it or see it or perceive it. Yeah, but then it's, it's questionable why why to establish such a category as in, in noble conventional objects, yeah, uh, or a noble object that that is just an object. If you anyway uh, put a, a, a can recognize it only with uh, with your mental labeling of it, so then. If you are a Chitta Martin, then you let's say you want to talk about a table, then I mean with your with your cognition of table, yeah, with, then with your mental cognition anyway that the table is coming along, why do you need the extra category of calling it an object beforehand? It's not that it's calling it an object. In according to Chittamatra, when you see something, all it is is the sight. And in that sight you know, a form appears, a mental hologram appears, popping out of this, you know, seed of karma, mm -hmm. together with seeing it, that's what seeing is, and in that cognition, that form is established as a knowable object. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it has, you know, it's encapsulated in plastic within your cognition. Now, in conceptual cognition, still, and, and, that, and in that sensory cognition, it's established as a knowable object by the individual defining characteristic feature mm -hmm. on the side of that object, in the cognition, mm -hmm. on the side of the mental hologram. Mm -hmm. Okay, now you talk about conceptual cognition, in conceptual cognition, there's a category, and there's also something appearing. But that image that is appearing, that hologram of the sight, is the same thing. It only has that individual defining characteristic that is uh, making encapsulating it in plastic. But it is not serving that characteristic mark is not serving as the seat or the place on which the category and the name is placed. This is how it's said in the definition. Mm -hmm. So it is only fit into the uh, category and the name by the, well, I've forgotten the technical term for it, but it's the um, 
it's a type of defining characteristic that's on the side of a category. Mm. So the defining characteristic of a category, it's only fit into that in terms of what's coming from the side of the category. And that and there's nothing there's nothing in that barcode on the side of the object that it would fit to. So it could be fit, you know, many, many things. It could be fit into this table, this object there. I could fit it into the category of table because it serves the function of holding my computer. I see. But I could fit it into the category of a chair because I could sit on it. Right, right. Yeah. Or a black object or whatever, a wooden object, whatever you could call it. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, right. I see. That's, that's the point. That's the Chittimatra point. Mm -hmm. But as an object, it's an object, it's a thing, it's encapsulated in plastic. And Prasangika is saying, no, not even that. Even that is, you know, you have a category of, you know, a knowable thing. Like love, like a color red, like orange. It was difficult Me? to imagine that a karmic seed from which all those objects arise, that, that if one imagines that... The hologram of all the objects arise. Yeah, the hologram of these... The appearance. The appearance that arises, that such appearances uh, have inherent nature. That's difficult to, 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 to think of. I, I find it difficult. Well, inherent means that there is something on their side that establishes that there is such a thing. That doesn't talk about where it comes from. It's like, it's like in, in Chitamada it would be like saying that they take the dream analogy very serious. So it's like everyone is dreaming. So then to say, oh yeah, the objects in the dream, they inherently exist, you know, the dream objects. So that's just difficult to, for me to... Well, follow. maybe the problem is the word inherently. Yeah, that they, it mean, the literal thing is that it is self-established. Self-established doesn't mean that it comes out of itself. There's something on its side that establishes that it exists. Mm -hmm. And that is the defining characteristic mark and also the self-establishing nature, it's called. Mm -hmm. And also the essential nature, all these various types of natures. They're different words in uh, Tibetan. Yeah, but uh, do you find it uh, um, convenient for, for yourself when you dream at night and you, and you recognize that like, you wake up afterwards and then you, would you think afterwards when after you're waking up, oh yeah, there were inherent elephants running around in the dream? Or well, like that, that there was, it seemed real. It seemed that the appearance was that it was established from its own side, that it was, there actually was an elephant or I actually was, I mean, often I dream I was uh, in my house in uh, India. Hmm. The small little thing? Yeah, yeah. That small, well, I lived in that for 29 years. So, uh, you know, I dream, and it really seems as though 
that's my house. Yeah, in the dream. In but the dream. You don't know that it's a dream. Well, I don't know that it's a dream. Yeah. Well, even if I know that it's a dream, it still appears like that. Yeah, but then you would not, you would not, in that moment, if you would know that it is a dream, in the dream, I can't imagine to think that this is from its, from their own side, there is your house. It appears like that. We're not talking about, <laughs> is it, where is it coming from? No, even if I, it appears, it appears to be like this. I can't even, I mean, I don't know. Well, I think the problem here is actually identifying the object to be refuted, which Tsongkhapa says is very difficult. The object to be refuted is self-established existence. So, what I mean, we're jumping now to to Prasanka. We're jumping all over the place. It's not. It's not. So please, you know, let's stop bringing in Prasangika all the time when we are trying to work up to that. But that is definitely um, the difficult thing and the most important thing is to recognize the object to be refuted. And obviously from what you are um, affirming, it's difficult to recognize, to actually identify what it is. So we have these individual defining characteristic marks and they are, that is uh, a whole issue of uh, what is their role in perception. But now we only have a few minutes left until the end of the class. I can't start this whole topic of the pervasion of the whole and its parts. In other words, uh, this individual defining characteristic and just introduce the, the uh, topic, which is that uh, if you, we were talking now just about the defining characteristic mark of the, object, of the whole object. So is the defining characteristic of the whole object found in each of its parts? In other words, if I see a body, and I see the sight of a body. The defining characteristic of the whole body, is it found in your hand also? I would think so, yeah. Right, you would think so, right. And is it found in your nose? Is it found, you know... I find it extremely difficult because I have a twin brother, and until the age of four, I cannot say who of the kids in the picture is me. Because I cannot find the characteristic mark, you know. It's very, very difficult. My mother can. Uh, and then she points to different things in each picture. But I can't tell at all, you know, if, if you're, I mean, we're doing... She claims right, so then the question is, okay, you have a twin, and in pictures of you as a child, you can't distinguish which one is which. You can't find the defining characteristic. Is there, however a defining characteristic on the side of the object that distinguishes, you know, one from the other. It's just a matter of, you'd have to say yes. It's just that you can't distinguish it, so it's a fault of distinguishing. But when you were with your brother, could you distinguish that yourself from him? During that time. During that time. I must confess, I think that's a thing for twins, that you feel more, for a while, you feel more like 
which I say in, in a very close connection, because you're also mistaken very often for this for this other person. You have not this very clear distinction between the people from early on, because you feel very. But when you see his hand, do you think that's your hand? But if you hear his name, you will definitely turn your head and see who is calling. Right. For a long time. <laughs> right. Because others couldn't distinguish you. As I couldn't for a while. And you couldn't. Well, yeah, I mean, you were very identical looking. You were really identical looking. Back then? Back then. Most quite strange of an experience. I mean, Mark <laughs> is not so visible. As I said, probably I'm mistaken, but it's... How much of a mark do you need to really identify this? To really identify the person. Well, this is what we're getting to. This is exactly uh, the topic that we're getting to. Mark with a seal? How much do you have to know? And where is the defining... If the defining characteristic mark of the body is found in all parts of the body, that's not the case with the defining characteristic of the person. Because according to these other views, Satrantika is only found in mental consciousness. That's in the basis of imputation, in Chittamatra in the foundation consciousness, and Svatantrika again in the mental consciousness. I mean, it sounds logical that even if you can't identify a person like in you know, in that case, you're looking at a photograph of identical twins, yeah. Yeah, or wherever, in any case, even if uh, you are getting old and Alzheimer's and you can't recognize somebody, even you you knew at one point, and right. you can't recognize that person anymore. Right. I mean, my grandmother couldn't, you know, she yeah. know who I was. Yeah. But still, that doesn't mean that my individual parts are not identifiable as uh, uh, for my whole. That's right. So this is the topic we'll speak about next week. It gets into the whole discussion of DNA, this type of stuff. <laughs> so let's end with the dedication. We think whatever understanding, what positive forces come from this, may go deeper and deeper and act as a cause for everyone to achieve the enlightened state of a Buddha for the benefit of all.